Every year as a pastor, every year as a church, we have options. You see, there's this date, this day, commonly, culturally called Halloween. It's a date dedicated to dark disguises. Yes, it's that day that we are supposed to be a little more fearful, a little bit more frightened. Why? Well, there'll be some kind of sick, some kind of scary, some kind of gross, some kind of gruesome. There'll be somebody who hopes to, ah! And you're thinking, is a Christian? What do I do? How do we react? How should we respond? Well, certainly, even as a parent, you could pretend it doesn't exist. You know, just kind of candy? I don't know what you're talking about, Johnny. I don't know what you're saying, Sally. Pumpkins? No, I don't know what that's about. And you try and shield and you're sheltering your kids from that, just kind of holding them at bay. You could do that. Pretend it doesn't exist. On the other hand, you could profess and resist. Candy, bad. Bad candy, no, no, no. Pumpkins, bad. Bad pumpkins. Bad pumpkins, bad candy. Yeah, yeah, here's what we want to do as a church. Let's close the building. Let's get in small rooms and get on our face and pray against and pray about and disconnect from the real world and make sure they know, no, no, I will not. Really? I got another idea. I think there's another option. Rather than pretend it doesn't exist, or rather than profess it does and resist, I think Ephesians chapter 5, drawing your attention to verses 15 and 16, give us what I think is the right thing to do. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Pause right there, your attention, please. You've got to see that the contrast is clear between those who are foolish and those who are wise. If you have a pencil handy, foolish, of course, there will be those who are rash and silly and kind of goober dopes. And they'll do things and say things about a calendar date that will make us seem strange and make us seem weird and make us seem like, well, you guys are just somewhere, nowhere near reality. On the other hand, there will be those who are wise. And if you have a pencil handy, the implications of that word, they will be clever, they will be shrewd, they will be discerning, and they will be enlightening. And what will they choose to do? Well, it's redeem it. You can redeem the day. You see, over the years of having these light nights, as you saw today, coming on our property, I have had my share of emails and letters in the early days saying, Bob, how can your church celebrate Halloween? Listen, I don't know if you're out there, but we did not celebrate Halloween tonight. We celebrate Jesus Christ here. Why? Because every day belongs to the Lord. There's not one day that... October 31st doesn't belong to the devil. No, that's the Lord's day. Every day is the Lord's day. So what I will do is seize the day, make the most of every opportunity, and if in fact the day looks like it needs redeeming, well then obviously you redeem it. Redeem it. Circle the word in verse 16 for redeeming. Nearby write these words, save or vindicate or retrieve or fix or exchange. Here's the way one translation reads it. Get it back. 
This day doesn't belong to the devil. It belongs to God. And if you down your block or you in your house have determined to surrender it for something sick and scary, something gross and gruesome, then I say, come on, what are you doing? No, it's a perfect opportunity instead to do, again, exactly what we did, not just at this campus. Listen, this happened at every campus. Oh, this was at Boca, this was at Sandalfoot, uh, this was in Plantation, uh, this was something that happened in Boynton. Four of the six campuses did something to bring people to the house of God, enjoy a time of fun, fellowship, gospel presentation, and I am looking forward to hearing how God used this night in one of your neighbor's lives because you said, oh, our church has candy. Oh, our church has candy? Yes. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You bet. It's very sweet to know Jesus. And what we're trying to do, of course, is redeem it. So how does the pastor redeem it? Well, I would like to, and you heard me say it, disrupt the devil. Here's what I'd like to do. For someone who is typically very strategic and very, very seductive, somebody who likes to hide out and somebody who likes to hold up, somebody who likes to conceal, be a bit camouflaged, very shrewd, very sequestered, listen, what you do then to really bother him is unmask. You unveil, you expose, you reveal, you spill the beans, you uh, blow the whistle. And as you do that, you learn. We learn together. We grow together. We see Him for who He is. And with that knowledge, you're able to? Well, I pray that in many ways, when we conclude with these four words, although there are many, you have a chance as a believer to say, you know what? No longer. You know what? Not anymore. Because once He is revealed and once He is exposed, you find out, listen, Here's a handful of his names. The devil, the enemy, Satan, ruler of demons, strongman, murderer, liar and the father of lies, ruler of world, god of this world, abaddon, which means destruction, apollyon, which means destroyer, wicked one, accuser of the brethren, Beelzebub, great red dragon, angel of the bottomless pit, adversary tempter, serpent Belial. What's that? They're all names describing the same entity. Yes, I believe he exists. Yes, I believe that he is. And I believe that if you're not aware that he exists and he is, you fall prey. And you'll find, even if you do pray, a lot less effective because you don't know how the enemy works. Let me tell you something. The NFL is in full swing. And this being the week that it is, everyone is looking at the team they will oppose next week. They want to try and find a way to beat their enemy. They will find his strength, they will find their weakness, and then they will plan accordingly. I think right now, the enemy knows your weakness. I believe right now, he has a strategy. And I think that some of you have so pushed him away from the place of reality in and over your life that quite honestly, you're not successful as you should be. You don't succeed as you would be. Why? Well, because you don't see him in the light that the word shines on him. The first of four, if you're a note taker, the devil is a liar. He's a liar. Leave Ephesians chapter 6. Go with me to John chapter 8. 
We'll pick it up in the 41st verse, John 8 and 41. Jesus is speaking. You do the deeds of your father. And they said to him, We're not born of fornication. We have one father, God. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Verse 44. Highlighter handy. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a, please note, murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, if you have a pencil handy, circle the word for liar then in verse 44. And close by, you could simply write one word, false. He is a liar, and when he speaks... Trust me, it will not be true. The opposite of truth is false. It's going to be false. It won't be true. So, if when he speaks, he speaks a lie, and it is false, obviously we can conclude he is not somebody to be trusted. You don't trust the devil. You go, well, Bob, obviously I would never trust the devil. But here's how and why we sometimes do. He will use both your ego and your emotions to infiltrate and permeate your heart and your soul. Your ego, I think it's probably the simplest word for me to employ to describe the self in you. In other words, everyone has an ego, everyone has this identity of self, and every one of us who will recognize that we have needs will hear the voice of those needs crying extra loud when it comes to an appetite he promises to satisfy. So, every one of us, as a human being, has got natural, normal appetites. What he likes to do is take natural, normal appetites and shift ever so seductively into a zone where now what was normal and natural now becomes nasty and notorious as it moves you into a grab to get from ego, self, I, to now fear or lust or greed. What happens? Well, he knows that your pride, I, need, I have to have, will shift your spirit in a different direction, and your body will be satisfied before your spirit is. And when that happens, my friend, it's sad. Because he's only playing with you. You see, a normal natural appetite for food is a normal natural appetite for food. And without sounding like I'm meddling, but simply admitting that there are times in your life you go, you know what? Food is what I need. Of course food is what you need. And you know what? I'm so hungry, I'd like to have another helping of that. And then I'd like to have another helping of that. And I'd like to have another helping of that. And now, here in the United States of America, I'm discovering our obesity rates are like skyrocketing. You're thinking, what is that? For some of you, I'm going to say this as nicely as I can, it's medication. That's what it's become. 
Why? Because it's trying to satisfy something else in you that he is hoping to do, but when you move away from him, something else is going to try and fill that void, and if you eat that long enough, we call it comfort food. Now I'm comfortable, but I'm not. Why aren't you? Because I got tricked. It was greed. It was lust. And it got too far away. Now, typically when we talk greed or lust, the pastor is supposed to talk about sexual things. And then everybody's supposed to acknowledge, oh man, I understand that. Oh man, I understand that. I'm saying that some of you need to start with a more basic appetite, and that would be food, even before you tackle something sexual. Why? Well, because so many of those appetites, when they're harnessed in their most basic form, you find strength over those other forms. Now, again, and I'll say it to you this way, it doesn't surprise me that this guy is the ultimate liar. In fact, you just read he's the father of lies. The fathers of lies, he says the Bible does that when he lies, he speaks from his own resources, and although the word resources is italicized in your Bible, the implication from the text is that he has this warehouse, and he's got these shelves, and on the shelves in his warehouse, there's an inventory full of lies. So anytime you want something or need something, you hear your ego or you hear your emotions say, I have need of something, and then he looks at his inventory and says, Oh, I know exactly what you need. Here's what you need to be satisfied. You need another relationship. Here's what you need. Here, go ahead. Have another relationship. And you take the relationship and the end you go, this is what I need. That's what I need. That's what I know is going to make me happy. Now, if reality had a voice, it would say, no, 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 not right now. You, the last thing you need right now is a rela another relationship. Right now what you need more than anything else is some alone time and some time with the Lord. He's the relationship you've been missing. He's the relationship you need to be building on. And you've gone from guy to guy to guy to guy. Or you've gone from girl to girl to girl to girl. And here's what you've convinced yourself of. You just haven't found the right one. So when you find the right one, and the Lord's saying, I don't even want to give you the right one until you become the right one. I'm trying to do a work to you so that through you, I can make you the right one for the one who's really going to bless your life. I don't have time for that. I want my box now. Okay, I'm sorry to say, but that's the same attitude the enemy had. The enemy had? Listen, you don't need to turn there, but Isaiah chapter 14, specifically in verse 13, you talk about believing a lie. This is the devil himself. Listen, it's Isaiah 14 and 13. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the earth. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Those are words flowing from the mouth of the devil. This is what I need. This is what I can do. And I don't need to ask God for nothing. Now, Curiously, where does that lead? And in its subtlety, how does it sneak in to where you are today, sitting in a seat at a church, watching online at another campus? How does that sneak in? Well, let's go back to the Gospels, not specifically, but more verbally, and say, I can see it. 
I can see Peter sitting there with the rest of the disciples, and Jesus mentions betrayal, and Peter's head kind of tilts sideways. It's like, betray? Who would actually betray you, Lord? Well, here's what I know. It wouldn't be me. No, I'm not the betraying kind. In fact, all of these guys could and would betray you before I would. I, I would stay strong. I would stay mighty. I, I, I. You really think you can do life without God? You really think it's wise to try? And it's so sad because now Jesus, after he's been arrested, is taken away. Peter finds himself around a campfire. And there's a little servant girl, the Bible says, that approaches, looks up at Pete and says, Aren't you one of his disciples? He says, No, I'm not one of his disciples. Get out of here. And it's kind of weird because I pointed this out at one of my recent studies. Um, the word says servant girl. Now, there are a couple of words in the original language for a young female. One of them is maiden, which brings you an understanding, according to the language, to a 13, 14-year-old girl. However, when that term is employed, servant girl, it should bring your understanding to someone, believe it or not, that's probably eight or nine years old. So he's Peter at the communion dinner table. Guys, listen, I don't know who's going to betray you, but it certainly won't be me. And I think all these guys would before I would. And now you've got an itty-bitty nine-year-old girl saying, aren't you one of his disciples? No, not. Huh. I can't believe those words just came from my mouth. Why? Because in just a couple of moments... One of the Gospels is going to say, another servant girl approached and said, you sure you're not one of his disciples? And this time the Bible says, Peter curses. And he actually swears with an oath. Kind of like, I promise, as sure as I'm standing here, on my brother's grave, on my mother's house, uh, stick a needle in my eye. I'm not going to lie. I am not his disciple. And then, after he says no to the servant girl first time, takes an oath to the servant girl a second time, and curses on the third time, then the rooster crows, and then the Bible says, and Peter went out and wept bitterly. Denial, cursing, and weeping. Why? All because the enemy whispered into his ego, you know, you're pretty strong, Pete. You're pretty, you're pretty good, Pete. I mean, honestly. I mean, in the last couple of weeks, you've said a couple of things. I don't think the rest of these disciples are that smart. You're a smart guy. You're a strong guy. Yeah, a lot of the guys will betray, but you won't. And Peter now offers that to Jesus. And Jesus looks across the table and says, Pete, I hate to be the one to tell you this, but before the evening comes to a close, you will have denied me three times. You'll hear the rooster crow, and you're going to feel really dumb about it. Guys, guys, listen. Do you see how that's all traced back to the enemy whispering a lie? 
It doesn't have to be, oh, big, bold, clear lie. Sign a contract. Yeah, today I signed a contract the devil. He's lying to me. I read the fine print and I signed my name. No, it's nothing as bold as that. He's so stinking seductive. He's so incredibly subtle that it will be just those feelings of your heart. Just go, yeah, I'm pretty strong. I'm pretty together. I can do this. Yeah, I think I can. Yeah. And the Lord's looking, going, you, you going to do this one on your own? <laughs> hey, Jesus, stand back for a few minutes. There's enough of you in me. I don't need you right now. There's enough of me in you right now. You don't need me. Now, there have been a time or two in my life where I didn't realize it was him in me that would give me the victory. I assumed it was me on his behalf. Stand back, Jesus. I'll take this one. You've taught me a lot. Let me show you what I can do. You got stuff going on over there in the Middle East. You do what you need to do, I'll do what I need to do. We'll, we'll do this one for you. Denying, cursing, weeping. He's a liar. Now listen. On the point of his power to deceive you with a lie, let me also remind you in the text, he's a murderer. So the intention of his lie is not just to trick you. You know, sometimes you tell a joke and it's not really true. And then somebody laughs and goes, you were lying. Yeah, I was lying. Okay, you caught me. That's not the devil's stuff. He lies with an end goal and that is to wipe you out. And one of the ways he gets you closer to that wipe out, second word, leaving John chapter 8, go with me to Revelation 12. In Revelation 12, you discover, number two, he is also, the devil is, an accuser. An accuser. Look at Revelation 12 and 10. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony and they did not love their lives to the death now this is of course after the fact giving us insight that someday soon he will have his final day and someday soon we will be liberated from that stinking stupid voice that you hear that i hear on a regular basis accusing us of not being listen good enough to either be used by him or make it to the kingdom. And here in the text, the Bible says, he accuses the brethren day and night. Now, if you have a pencil handy, in the text, you could circle the word for accuser right there in verse 10. And I found this fascinating when I discovered it. In the original language, it means a complainer at the law. And I didn't understand that, and I dug a little deeper. And here's what we have. We have a guy with the law of God very close by, watching your life, waiting for you to trip up, waiting for you to mess up, because he wants to point to the righteous requirement that God has for you and say, you blew it. You're not good enough. This is what God's law requires, and you know it, and you didn't do it. So he's using the very law of God to accuse you, and when he does, it's incredibly effective because it's true. You blew it. The difference, my friend, is this. If you just let him stand 
in the accuser role and you don't allow the Lord to get into the excuser role, you only hear his voice and you stay down. You stay sad. You stay broken. But not the good kind of broken that lends itself to repair after the fact recognizing he is there. The bad kind of broken that just makes you feel stupid. Why? Because you tried to do it right, you blew it. And you know what? To try and do it right again, I just am going to blow it again. And that's when you hear his voice say, you're right. Why did you even try this Christian thing in the first place? I mean, how lame for you to actually think that you could do life without that vice. Do life without that pleasure. Do life without meeting that need. You've done that for years. Why did you think you could actually do without that thing? Because Jesus is in your life. No, let me tell you something. And here's what the enemy will say. I've watched you for the last month. I've seen you blow it several times. You're not going to make this Christian walk thing happen. You, you Do this. Just quit. Why, why are you playing a game with yourself? You know you're not one of them. Look at these people around here tonight. Even when they were singing songs, lifting their hands, you didn't feel like lifting your hands. And you know what? I don't think you should lift your hand anyway because your hands are dirty. And you know, when you lift them and God sees your hands, He goes, oh, whose hands are those? And He knows they're your hands. Keep them down. And tell you what, when you leave, don't come back. This is a different place. And you know what? Besides that, these people, these people are a little odd. You've missed out on how many really good times lately? How many times have you missed out lately on good times? You can't really do the Christian thing. And you see what happens is that he takes his character and he can do this combo thing. You know, where we know, and I'll go back to the fact that he's your enemy... And I'll go back to the fact that he's a strong man. In Scripture, from Matthew 13 and 39, and in Scripture from Matthew 12 and 29, and then he'll do this combo thing. He'll then take the accuser and accusation against you. Then he'll take the liar and kind of put the two of them together in such a way that now... you I can't really do it. But you know, I wasn't doing that bad when I was in the world in the first place. That guy that brought me to that warehouse church, I know they made a lot of promises, but I walked down the hallway, that pastor looked up, he didn't even say hi. They don't really care here anyway. I got too many people. It's all about money anyway. Now here's what happened. A couple of you chuckle. Why? Because you've heard those voices. You bet you've heard those voices. And whenever you hear those voices speak so clearly, why don't we stop for a second and go, whoa, whoa, wait a second, wait a second. He's telling me I've got dirty hands. You know what, devil? You're right. I've got dirty hands. You're absolutely right. I've broken the law of God. You know, you're right again. But let me tell you something that you continue to forget. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses me from all of my sins. And you know what he promised me? He promised me in Psalm 103, specifically verse 12, that he would cast my sin as far as east is from west. He would forget it and remember it no more. So even though you're reminding me of what my past is, he doesn't remind me of my past. And let me say this, because you've heard me say it before and it's been better said by others. Whenever the enemy reminds you of your past, remind him of his future. 
You go right to Revelation 12 and 10 and say, Hey, I was just reading about the day that you were cast down into a pit. Oh, you, you really have a bad ending, don't you, devil? Oh, sorry about your future. I'm grateful that his blood covered my past. Turn it off. Turn off the sound of him. And the wisest way to turn off the sound of him is realize that with every accusation to something where you did break the law, Jesus' blood has the power to forgive you. He's in the business of forgiveness. And in other words, guys, listen, I'm in the business of preaching. I'm preaching all the time. God is in the business of forgiving. He's forgiving all the time. And when the enemy whispers in your ear and says, I'm sorry, he's forgiven all of your past, but that last time you sinned, oh, that was it. What do you mean that was it? Oh, yeah, he's got a lot of grace, but his grace runs out for you because he didn't expect that you would do that. He thought you'd be a lot more spiritual. He didn't pick you to do that. He's surprised. In fact, he's wondering right now, why did he pick you in the first place? Really? How do you know that? Can I emphasize a simple fact before I move to the third point? You need the body of Christ for moments like those. Because you know what? Whenever I'm around my brothers that are really close to me, that I can open up around, the minute I say, hey, you know what, I'm kind of struggling with, you know what they say? Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, I didn't know what. Yeah, me too. Hey, I'll pray for you, you pray for me. Yeah, listen, there is no one righteous, no, not one. We're made righteous. He makes us righteous. But it's He that makes us righteous, not we that make ourselves right. We only are sanctified because He called us and set us apart. And the cleansing work that He's doing, of course, is an opportunity for us to acknowledge He has the power to do that work. But me being done like, oh, hey, I got all the blood I need. Three weeks ago, I haven't sinned in what? Two, three weeks now? Oh, I haven't sinned in ten years. I remember sinning a long time ago. I grew out of that. No. No, 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 no. No, you'd be embarrassed if you knew on my part. In fact, you might not even listen to the rest of the study. Oh, Bob, you shouldn't be up there. You're a sinner. Oh, and you're the one criticizing me, are you? There. Cast the first stone. Not saying that sarcastically, saying it sar- sincerely. We're, we're not, none of us are done. None of us are pure enough. None of us are holy enough. Listen, we all need Jesus. But the enemy is going to accuse you and tell you you're not good enough for Jesus and he's going to lie to you and tell you that you made a dumb mistake. Now, how will he be successful doing it? It's the third word. Write it down. He is not only a liar, an accuser. He's also a tempter. A tempter. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. It's close enough and near enough. To where you're at in Revelation, just go to the left, a handful of pages. Get past James. 1 Thessalonians. Look at 3 and and look with me at the context of what we're reading. Because we're going to focus on verse 5. But look at verse 4. For in fact we told you before 
that when we were with you, that we would suffer tribulation. So here's the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica saying, Guys, I told you when I was with you before that this kind of stuff would happen, that you'd suffer some form of tribulation. Then he says this, Just as it happened, and you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means... The tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. The tempter would tempt you. Now, if you have a pencil handy, circle the word for tempter, close by. The enticer. He has a lure, he has a magnet, he has attraction, he has a trap. And his goal is to surprise you in some way with that unexpected hook that pulls you out of your Christian faith water back to the land where you can't survive. Listen, you became a Christian, now you're part of the body of Christ. If you've tasted the goodness of God, he knows coming out of that goodness of God, you will be more vulnerable than you've ever been. You will find yourself more disappointed by the deeds you do. Why? Because you've tasted God. Now, how did the Apostle Paul say the church in Thessalonica would be tempted? He says, here's what you're going to be tempted with. You're going to go through a trial, and you're going to assume that because you're going through a trial, Jesus doesn't like you. Because you're going to think, well, I accepted Jesus, everything in my life should be great now. So why isn't everything great? Oh, now watch it. Because he is lying to you, you made a wrong decision, accusing you you're not good enough, and tempting you to go a different direction with whatever else could find satisfaction. And don't go back to that church, whatever you do. Don't go back to that small group. Don't go back to that group of Christians. Why? Because this will be more pleasurable than that. Let me tell you something. There's not a week that doesn't go by that somebody doesn't get enticed or somebody doesn't get tempted to go off the course of God. It's why he does what he does. And as you've heard me say before, he is very aware of where those weaknesses are and it's not like he's going to tempt you where you're not tempted. He's going to tempt you where you're tempted. So when I meet with a guy and he goes, oh man, pray for me, I can't understand what's happening. I got tempted and then he describes the way and he still can't understand it. I'll say, I understand it. You're being tempted with what men are tempted with. or You're being tempted with what is your weakness. He doesn't tempt you where you can't be tempted. He tempts you where you can be tempted. You've heard me say, I love the law of God. And in it you'll find many prohibitions. And there's a specific prohibition according to the law. We are told the Israelites were forbidden to eat bats. No bats. You can't eat bats. And I'm thinking, if I was a Jew living in that time, I would be obeying that commandment. <laughs> no big deal. Hey, hey, no bats. No bats. Uh, yeah, last week I decided no more bats in my life. And I've been walking in victory, man. It's been pretty cool. God's given me strength to not like bats. Let me tell you something. You could dip a bat wing in buffalo sauce, and I still wouldn't be drawn to a bat wing or to a bat body. It's like, you're eating a bat? Now... I can understand why guy prohibited bats, because I feel for the guy who goes, oh, looks like meat. No, leave bats alone. The point I'm making, however, is there are some commands that are very easy to keep. I have no problem with bats. But there are other commands that are very difficult to keep. 
And when you're walking through a difficult season, trying your best to honor God, what do you think he's going to do, the enemy is, to take you off of your honor to God? He's going to hang something in front of you that he is well aware you used to do. So as he hangs it down in front of you, you go, hey, this is something you want, right? I know it's something you want, because this is what I destroyed you with. So I'm just bringing it back up. You haven't drinking for how long? Well, here's your drink, buddy. You haven't used for this long. Here it is. It's back. And in a moment, you least expect it, that visual, that audible, I can't believe this. I believe it. He's a liar and he wants to accuse you. He's got to have something to accuse you about. So he throws a lure in front of your face, hoping that you'll be weak enough, not around your brothers, to bite it. Why? Because once you bite it, he knows the regret will set in. And once again, you're going to believe the lie. You're going to listen to the accuser and you're never going to come back. He knows how that works. What do you need to do? Listen. Because he's a liar, you need to be in this truth. Jesus is the truth. Because he's an accuser, you need to hang with the excuser. And you need to know the blood of Jesus and the forgiveness of God is just that great. When it comes to him being a tempter, I say to you, you need to get around the protector. Because according to the scriptures, Psalm 3 and 3, listen, he is a shield about you and the lifter of your head. And I love that line that he's the lifter of my head because I think it's linked to him saying, Bobby, wait, 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 where are you looking? And if I got my eyes on something that's attractive to me and God the Spirit is calling me to look his way, what happens? I'm preoccupied. You ever see... uh, A small kid start to go for something he shouldn't go for and it's on the floor and he's at that crawling stage and he's got his eyes on it, he's going for it. And the minute he hears his mom's voice say, hey, come back here, it's like, I know what you said and I'm going closer. I'm going to go faster because I know that's the voice of prohibition and I know that's the voice of no and I'm going to act like it doesn't exist. I'm going for the gold. And what happens? Well, if it's a smart mom, she'll come right around to where he's crawling, get right in front of him, look down, hi, lift up your head, it's me, mommy, you're not going to get that, lift him up, put him around, lifter of my head, he's a shield about me, no, here's the the deal, Bob, I put a Holy Spirit shield about you, and I'm going to lift your head at just the right time, you're going to see me, you're going to know I love you, I'm going to call you away from that thing you're going for, and I'll tell you why. Because I promised in my word that no temptation, no temptation, would seize you except what is common to man. And I promised at just the right time I would provide a way out. I told you I would. There's nothing, there's not, listen, any one of you that has ever sinned, and we all have, We all have this same experience. Whatever is that sin, we get really, really close to it, and we can hear the enemy's voice say, Go! And we can hear the Lord's voice say, No! And right then we hear it. And it's like, Angel, devil, right there telling me. Okay, who are you going to obey? Who's going to win right there? The enemy goes, Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Now, listen. That shiny thing that kid's going for? Well, it's a penny. He's going to put it in his mouth and be trying to swallow it. He's going to choke. He's going to end up in the hospital. You see, there's always consequences. Billy Graham well said it. For every kick, there's a kickback. 
You, you think you're going to succeed at that, and you think there's not going to be a penalty. You think you can charge forward and do that. No, there's going to be a kickback. But see, you're having a hard time believing that. Why? Because the temptation is so strong, and you're not listening to the Lord, because you're listening to the accuser of the brethren tell you you're a loser, and because he's lying to you, telling you can be satisfied with that, what happened? You stay on the course in the wrong direction. Ah! Let him be your shield. Let him lift your head. Look in his eyes and see the love and compassion. He's not saying no because he doesn't want you to enjoy life or have fun. He's saying no because he knows how high that hospital bill is going to be when we're sucking the penny out of your gut. It's just he knows that stuff. And you don't want that in you, okay? Fourth and finally, go with me to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what it says. 1 Peter 5 and 8, to the right, just a handful of pages from where you were. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And then he says this, resist him. In other words, this is what you can do. You can resist him, knowing, the Bible says, steadfast in the faith, that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood, and I will add your sisterhood, in the world. What's that? You can do this. We do this. This is what we do. We're Christians. We find ourselves tempted. We realize the enemy's out for no good. And he is, in this case, not just a liar, not just an accuser, not just a tempter, but fourth and finally, he is your adversary. And you can circle the word for adversary there in the text and close by right. He opposes you. He resists you. He contends with you. Why? His goal is to devour you. Circle in the text the word devour and close down you could write these. Gulp down or drink in totality. He swallows you up is the way that that word reads. His desire is to swallow you up. Again, I'll say he's playing for keeps. Now because he is the adversary, let me remind you, you can jot it down, 1 John 2 and 1, Jesus is the advocate. And there's a difference between an adversary and an advocate. An adversary is against you, an advocate is for you. And we have this advocate in Christ. We have this, another translation reads, attorney. And he stands before the judge and says, here's the deal, judge. Uh, my client here, Bob Coy, I know he looks guilty. The enemy's been lying to him lately, accusing him that he's not good enough. The enemy's really working to tempt him. But I'm here to plead his case before you, my father, because something that everyone needs to know in the court about Bob is that his heart belongs to us. He's given his life to the kingdom, and to the kingdom's sake. And listen, because of that, his whole body is covered in the blood of Jesus, and we've gone ahead and canceled his debt, we've gone ahead and declared him righteous, and right now he's on his way to the heaven. So the enemy, the accuser, and the loser, and the adversary, and the tempter, and the liar, the teeth that he used to bite Bob with, have been pulled. He's been defanged. And although he might be successful gumming Bob from time to time and sliming Bob from time to time, he doesn't have the power he used to have over Bob's life because I, Jesus, have all power over Bob. End of sentence. End of sentence. Now, let me say this. There are some, and there's probably one or two of you here going, so, you believe in the devil, do you, Bob? Oh, I saw the devil. He was out there at light night. Little red costume, little horns, pitchfork, 
Oh yeah, in fact, he's on the outside of the deviled hand cam, right? The deviled ham can. No, no, no. That's, that's an image that we may have created to describe him. I think you heard me describe him tonight. And I will conclude by saying, if you don't think he exists, his existence should be all the more real to you because the fact that you don't think he exists tell me he does exist and he's blinded you to his reality. In other words, he's, always, he's already been successful in your life because you don't believe he exists. So let me then, you know, logically, you know, reasonably say, so what do you think is actually happening on planet Earth? You think that all the evil in this world is just a bunch of bad people waking up in a bad mood and doing this, these heinous, horrific things, and it's just flesh gone wild? For you to read the news, for you to watch the news, for you to see... I mean, I'll be honest. This last year, Israel, every time I've got to do Yad Vashem, I've got to go through this Holocaust experience and have to see the depths of man's depravity and how one human would treat another human being. And when I walk out of that museum, that Holocaust museum, I am reinforced with the fact the devil is real. Because that's not just man waking up in a mood against a certain people group. That is an anti-Christ, anti-Jewish, anti-God master plan. Because if he could wipe out the Jewish race, he can say that this book has no value. Because this book promised there would always be a Jew. And while there is, there's a declaration that he is. But the day that there's a not, there will be an opportunity for him to say, there's not. And that's why I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And that's why I realize how satanic it is for the leader of a Middle East country to say, we need to wipe those people off the planet completely. They shouldn't even have their own state. They shouldn't have any identity. There's no place for the Jew. You're going, oh my goodness, if that's not that scary satanic stuff that just makes you think, this is, there's so much more to this. I've had my share of prison visits and every once in a while and you've heard me say I'll talk to somebody who does something really, really, really horrific and I heard it again an inmate say it was like something overtook me like a possession guys There's a sadder statistic attached to that these days and that it's happening in the home. And sometimes some of the most heinous criminal acts are parents against their kids. And you've got to believe that something satanic climbed in, took possession and did what I'm describing to you today. Because that's so unhuman. That's truly demonic in form. So what can you do as a Christian? Well, the first thing I'd say is also the last thing. Know that he that's in you is greater than he that's in the world. 
You are so much more powerful than the devil when you acknowledge that Christ is in you. Christ in you is the hope of glory. You on your own? No. You need Jesus. I need Jesus not just to no longer satisfy the desires of my flesh, but I need Jesus to help me conquer the desires of my flesh. And that's what happens when you acknowledge Him. If you don't, however, and you keep Jesus at bay, let me tell you something, you're no match for the devil. You push Jesus away, and the devil comes knocking on your door, and you don't have any power. And I know people today that try and do a good life without Jesus, and it seems like they're always messing up, and it's because the enemy is that strong. He won't really destroy them like destroy them. It's not like they're drug addicts and, you know, in the gutter of life. But they're just not living the full life because they keep Jesus just far enough away. The enemy just plays with them, kind of like a cat playing with a cockroach. He'll let it live long enough to make it just a few feet and then knock it upside the head, watch it fly. Then he'll kind of jump over there, sit for a while, watch it. You'll go to a club, you'll go to a bar. He'll wait for you to come out of the club. Bam! There you go, flying again. And, and you've got these marks on your wings and you've got a mark on your underside. He's going to wait to kill you. He's having fun. And he doesn't mind taking a long time. To wait to beat the snot out of you. Because he just likes, he likes just watching the little stuff come out and then you heal and then bam. Cat can do that all afternoon. Imagine that. Dog just mushes and rolls on the back. You're out in a few minutes, but a cat's playful. I don't have any play toys right now. Look, there's Bob. Bam. Let's pray. It's not Bob, it's not you, it's not anyone who's been here tonight as we expose the devil on his day. <laughs> Hope you liked your day. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> you know, he, uh, he's bothered enough of us and he's uh, disrupted enough of us that to uh, acknowledge the fact that you have more power, really, it, it, he, he's bothered. So would you pray with me? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name and we've often heard it said that it's one thing for us to know that you're aware of our prayers. It's a whole other thing for the kingdom of darkness to shake as they see believers gathered together praying for change and transformation. Lord, we uh, do know that this is an opportunity for us to just get close and stay close. And we know, then they tell us, that tonight there's groups of witches and Wiccan groups and, and people that are very anti-you that are praying against guys like me and hoping that we, uh, we bite the dust. So Lord, we pray for pastors and we pray for those teaching the word. We pray for people in the mission field. We know the enemy is working overtime trying to uh, really, really discourage us and trying to uh, lie to us and accuse us and tempt us and, and, and devour us. But God, we know that you are bigger, you are more powerful, and that as we look to you, uh, you can help us succeed. And that's our prayer right now, God. We pray you help us succeed. 
Lord, I pray for that person who's here tonight, invited by a friend, and they're not really where they're supposed to be with you. And they would not even uh, deny that the enemy exists, uh, but they need to, to get more serious about it because the enemy's just playing with them. And we pray, God, that you draw them closer to yourself and that there's a decision that happens in their heart to change uh, for the better forever and that this is the turning point for them. And they're always able to say, yeah, on October 31st, I really surrendered my heart to God and, and that was the first day of really doing my life for Jesus. Are these things we ask? Because you love us, because when we pray, you answer us in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we stand? We will provide opportunity for those of you who would like to get closer to the Lord to do that. Once Andrew closes us in song, right here at the front of this platform, there will be folks from our fellowship that will spend time praying with you. And if you go, man, you know what? The enemy's really been beating on me lately. And I need to kind of come back uh, to where I know I belong. I haven't been there for a while. And I'm embarrassed by it. You don't need to be embarrassed. Every one of us at some point has made some mistakes and gone a direction that we are embarrassed by and are regretting but what we do is we go back to what we know according to the word and he's waiting to forgive and he's waiting to heal and he's waiting to support and I would that he lifted your head uh, tonight uh, let me say that outside of these four walls immediately at the close of the service we'll be pumping back up all the inflatables for the kids uh, there's food available um, I guess they've run out of just one thing oh the turkey legs uh, we, we, I guess we say goodbye to 450 turkey legs uh, you guys ate a lot of turkey but we still have uh, a lot of other food and there's an opportunity for some festivity I happen to see the band go back out and they're going to be playing in the hallways if you miss the chance to hang out with family ahead of time I think you'll really enjoy it tonight and that's true at all the campuses uh, wherever you're watching they're going to Strike up the cord and, uh, and have some festive time for your kids a little longer. Uh, if they haven't had enough sugar, uh, you can <laughs> pump them up while we're pumping up the inflatables. And they're going to have a miserable day at school tomorrow. Uh, I don't know. Why in the world we do that? Anyway, it's for the kids. Uh, between now and the next time, uh, God bless you. Look forward to seeing you this weekend. Uh, thanks so much for being here. Andrew, if you'd close us in song.